and welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Claire. And I'm Sebastian. And on this season, we're reading The Ethical Slut, third edition, by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton. Hey, Sebastian, where are you? I'm in Boston, Claire. Where are you? I am in Amman, which is the capital of a country called Jordan in the Middle East. And on this week's episode, we're starting part three of The Ethical Slot. Can you believe that? Not really. I don't know. Yeah. It's like we've come a long way. Um, So part three is, is the shortest part of the book called Navigating Challenges. It only has four chapters, but man, they are long chapters. It's the shortest, but it's also not because all of these chapters are long. So this week's chapter is uh, chapter 15, Roadmaps Through Jealousy. I get asked the most about jealousy when I come out as non-monogamous. I don't, what, what's your experience of people asking you that question? I don't know if I've been asked specifically about jealousy. I guess people probably have asked me, um, I just, I do think it comes up a lot. People like, how can you do that? Or I would, I mean, people say I would be so jealous. Like, I'm so happy you can do that, but I would be jealous. Yeah. So it's not surprising that as they begin this, this part on navigating challenges, the first challenge that they talk about is this, this big jealousy monster. And as always, we haven't read the chapters before. This is the first time we're going to be discussing it. And we've also done all four of the homeworks in this chapter. That together. we have. So we should just I mean, dive they, straight they in. They start off the chapter saying what we just said, which is that for a lot of people, the barrier to entering a non-monogamous relationship is this idea of jealousy. They point out a couple of things here that I really agree with, that the destructive power of jealousy is way too much taken for granted and that people give jealousy a lot more power than it deserves. They also make a point that monogamy is not a cure for jealousy, which I think is really important to remember. And as we talk through all of this, I think we're going to look much more closely at the fact that you can't, being polyamorous doesn't mean you don't experience jealousy or that jealousy doesn't exist or that there's any one solution to jealousy, but that there are ways to address those feelings. Yep, exactly. They then go on to talk about how people believe that that having sexual territoriality of another person is like natural and that this is the basis of jealousy. Um, and if you believe that jealousy is natural rather than a social construct, it becomes very easy to like justify your actions based on jealousy. And I think that this is sort of like a very important myth to state, but it is a myth. It is not. A, I don't believe that, that, that it's true, but secondly, even if it was, it doesn't, it's not like an excuse. Um, and I think that that's why they're laying the groundwork here, um, because later on in the next section, they're going to start. Uh, like sort of picking apart a bit more of these ideas. Yeah, and they say that. They say whether jealousy is a nature or nurture or both, like whether it's ingrained in us, whether it's societal, either way, whatever you believe, however you look at it, it what really matters is how you address it. I want to say something else before we dive into this chapter, which is they talk about a lot of jealousy mm-hmm. specifically to do with jealousy about sexual intimacy. The, the whole lens of this is really focused on, and they talk about some other stuff, but a lot of it is focused on sex, physical intimacy, and things like that. And I definitely, and I'll, I'm sure I'll bring up more examples of this as we go, but I don't think that's the only situation where jealousy occurs. Um, and I would even say in my experience, that's like the least likely place for me to feel jealousy, specifically around physical intimacy. So, Yeah, exactly. Like, I definitely, in the very first exercise, which we'll come to, like I struggled finding an example of jealousy in my romantic life, but actually there, there was another of my partners um, and he, he was the one that kind of was like, well, jealousy can be from any place in your life. And I was like, that is great to remember that because I had been reading this chapter and it is so focused on relationships that I'd almost forgotten about the way that I can experience emotion elsewhere and that it's still valid to talk about that those sources of jealousy so the first section is entitled what is jealousy 
this is a, always the foundation of like any discussion about jealousy is people begin to try and define it. Um, and generally, just like in here, people say jealousy is not a single emotion. It is what people call like an emotional profile or what they call an umbrella word, which covers a wide range of emotions that we might feel because of what well, they say when our partners make sexual connections with other people. But I would argue that that is not the only time, as we've just said, that jealousy is experienced. I did do some research into this, and I think that there's something to add to this very first section here, which is that jealousy is usually triggered when we perceive our resources being taken away from us. And it is a completely natural, normal response that is evidenced in different animals, not just in people, but also in like children, like very young, like six month old children. Um, it seems to be basically like hardwired into us to feel this range of emotions um, in some way, which can be individual depending on on the way that you're raised and depending on the resource you perceive to be lost. But it's about that it's triggered from a loss of perceived a perceived loss of resource. So they they in this part they explicitly say you might feel these emotions when your partner makes sexual connection with somebody else. But I want to sort of disagree a little bit with the authors here and say jealousy is an umbrella word that covers a range of emotions we might feel when we perceive a resource being lost to somebody else. And whilst every single poly podcast and a large amount of um, counselling research for non-monogamy has been centred on answering pretty scientifically what jealousy is, this book does not do that because really they just say it's an emotional profile or lots of emotions and then they sort of move onwards and say it could be based on other things. So. Um, the trigger is not really spoken about. They don't talk about perceived loss of resources in this book. They then talk a little bit about how uh, how it might be an expression of your insecurity or fears of rejection or fears of abandonment. These are things we're going to come on to again later in the book and in this chapter. Um, but they definitely like move pretty swiftly off of the the question of actually what is jealousy to like how does jealousy express itself which is a slightly different question they are saying that jealousy is not a single emotion and therefore can express in many ways so like um if this is not the only emotion that does that it's not the only emotional profile that does that but once you start to pick this down you'll probably find some of the things that are coming out to be falling into i would say three things um is what i've got from this one is like an anger response one is being quite sullen and withdrawn so here they also talk about insecurity and i see that as being becoming like introverted and withdrawn and the other one is becoming more amenable so trying to appease the person like oh if i just am like really really nice this person will like come back to me this resource will be returned to me because i will be like the the best person thing to give it to um once you you kind of understand that it, it might present in all these different ways it starts to become like okay but how does it present for you in the given situation that they're interested in which is specifically in a situation when your partner is on a, in a sexual or emotional connection with somebody else in a polyamorous non-monogamous context and that is when Dossie's theory of like whichever one of those kind of three groups of of ways that jealousy is expressing itself whichever one of them is is coming out most regularly is a good signpost of like some co like collection of issues that you might want to work on so it's anger anger management is one of them to work on if it's fear of abandonment like let's like dig into what why you're so scared of rejection if it's that you're trying to like basically completely withdraw and become like completely independent what uh like doubts about yourself or about your relationship are playing into that and that's um that's kind of like the step-by-step -step that they're going through. there's another line in here that i kind of like which is jealousy is often the mask worn by the most difficult inner conflict you have going on right now a conflict that's crying out to be resolved and you don't even know it which is dossie's interpretation based on her years as a therapist and a counselor but i think that's an interesting way to think about it and a little bit different than how other places talk about it the point is it's it's diverse, it's different, and it's highly individual. 
So then they start talking about ways that you might sort of instinctively be handling this. And I think I pull out uh, pro projection is like one of the the ways you do it, right? So they say, well, some one way to not feel the feeling of jealousy because it doesn't feel nice, doesn't feel good to feel jealous. Well, however, it's coming up in you, doesn't feel good. So however you're feeling that, one well, way of not feeling it is to make it your partner's problem. And this is the psychological defense to be like, hey, you're making me feel shit. Stop making me feel shit. And either you get angry at them or you ask them like constantly to like reassure you or you become very sullen and withdrawn so that they will come and try and help you because they perceive you as being sad or vulnerable. But it, all of those ways you're projecting it onto like somebody else needs to take care of this. Somebody else's, it's someone else's problem is someone else's to blame. Um, and therefore, like, it's not my problem and I don't need to feel it anymore. That's quite common, I think. I, I hear that a lot about the way that people handle jealousy and it's super unproductive. No, jealousy is very much, it's not an individual emotion in the sense that jealousy is, is, is an emotion that's linked to relationships, right? To loss of a social resource. So like the defense mechanism being, I'm having these crap feelings and I don't want to acknowledge that I can do anything about them. So I'm going to, I'm going to, make it somebody else's fault. And because they're already tied to your interpretation of a relationship, they even say here, it might, this might be the only real definition of jealousy, the experience of projecting one's uncomfortable feelings onto one's partner. It's almost the only socially allowable way of dealing with your feelings of jealousy in a romantic relationship. Because God forbid you actually like admit that you're jealous and just sit with it and like find ways as an individual or a partnership to work through it. That, that's not allowed. But I don't think that's what they're saying, that that's what actually what jealousy is. But like the experience of feeling like feeling jealous has to do with putting your emotions, linking the emotions that you're feeling and your responses to things to somebody else's actions instead of acknowledging that. Yeah, and I have some background research on that, actually, which is that um, we only really get jealous of people that we are very closely related to. So the amount of jealousy we feel correlates very highly with the like how close we are to somebody so let's say for example taking this out of a sexual situation um you are at work and then like your co-worker who's very similar to you who you spend every day with gets like a slight pay rise or like gets a slightly larger bonus than you that's more likely to inspire jealousy than like thinking about like i don't know how much money donald trump's son is getting because you don't know donald trump's son and that amount of money is like completely unfathomable to you and they're really like it's just completely unrelatable. So you tend to feel jealousy only for people that you are closely related to. Um, and I thought that was, that was interesting. So I guess that kind of ties back into what they're, they're saying and what you've drawn out here, which is that it is about a way of like, it's about social currency and it's about a, a close relationship with somebody else. Well, so the next thing they talk about is that sometimes what you, you perceive as jealousy is actually something else. Uh, and this is a discussion I've heard a lot before, which is that jealousy might actually be envy which is a different thing that not always people realize. Okay. Maybe you find the difference between envy and jealousy because they definitely don't do it in um, the book. So I, I can talk about, I don't have any research on this, but I, I know how I would distinguish them at least. I think envy is just sort of wanting something. So the, the example I could give is like, say you are with another partner and you're going to see a movie. If I was jealous, I might be really upset or angry or something that you went to see the movie with that partner instead of me. If I was envious, I would just think, oh, I'd really like to see a movie with you too. Like I think envy is, is, the, is just a desire, it's just wanting to do something or, or wanting some sort of social resource without having any necessarily negative emotions. You're still feeling like there's something that you want or you're missing out but without it being connected to like a, a loss or a negative emotion regarding the fact that you're not getting it. So this reminds me of like times when, for example, you've said to me like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like, oh no, I, I said to you when you were doing rope play with another partner and I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like, I really want to do that. And I guess I wasn't actually meaning jealousy. I was, none of me was feeling bad. There was no negative emotion. It was just like, oh, I wish I could be doing that as well. It's the as well part, not the exactly part. They, they briefly make this distinction between envy without actually doing the definition of work that I would have liked, but I'm glad that, that we are here to do that. 
Um, well, that's what we're here for. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a podcast question. <laughs> they then start to talk about loss, and they don't talk about loss of a perceived resource. They don't use that language, but that's essentially, I think, what they're talking about here. Um, they're saying that that jealousy is often rooted in, in feelings that are similar to grief or loss, which become quite difficult to interpret. You're, you feel like you're losing something to somebody else. I'm going to briefly pick out the kind of four things that I saw here that stuck out to me, which was loss of an ideal. So like you have this picture of your head of what the perfect relationship should be. And now that's being taken away from you. Um, loss of a relationship. So you're worried that you're actually going to lose a whole relationship. And well, I think there's two types of losing the relationship. There's, there's the, the fear of losing a relationship completely, which is a bit more of ties back to sort of the monogamous centric ideas of like, if, if this person loves that person, they can't love me. So there's the two, there's the loss of the relationship completely. Like I'm going to lose this person in my life. And then there's also the loss of the established relationship dynamic or, or something. So if, if your partner starts to, to be involved with somebody new that will maybe just because of the fact that time is a limiting factor, change the relationship that you have. So I think when we, when we think about loss, it's it's important to realize that there's different ways that you can perceive losing a relationship with somebody. Yeah, and they, we will talk about that in a future episode called the ebb and flow of relationships because that's that's going to be important. But I think that's a really good point. You might not, you might even feel like you're losing an entire relationship, but really you're just losing a mode of the relationship that's been in thus far. They also talk about how uh, you might feel like you're losing basically like the number one. So there's like a level of competitiveness here, um, which maybe is similar to losing the mode of the relationship that's been in thus far. And also um, they then throw in at the end, which I don't really think makes a lot of sense in this feeling of loss and grief, but fear of being sexually inadequate. I don't understand why that's in this sort of list of grief and losses. Does, did that make sense to you? I agree with you that I don't think it should be there, but it makes sense to me while they're there. Like I said at the beginning, they focused a lot of this discussion about grief purely from, or not grief, this, this, they focus a lot of their discussion on jealousy as it pertains to, to sexual, physically intimate activities and less so on other emotional parts of relationships. That's my take on this chapter is it really focuses on that aspect of relationships of the intimate intimacies. So from that lens, like the, the sexual inadequacy then would be a big part of that change. But the way that I would talk about this is to say like, it could be associated with feelings of inadequacy or comparing yourself. And if you are somebody who has low self-esteem or low self-confidence or already has a tendency to feel inadequate, and then you see your partner having a great time or you know talking about the great sex they had with somebody or the great date they went on or enjoying this new hobby, you can start to judge yourself and say, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Like, wow, they're enjoying that so much, whether that's sex, whether that's other activities, maybe like that person is so funny or so attractive or, right. So I think that's just, that's one particular example of that, but I would want to broaden it to all these other things that are equally important. Okay. So clearly from this, what is jealousy section, it's, it's really hard to identify one thing that it is. It's very personal and it could be very varied. Though I will say just as a caveat to that, there's a separate sort of monogamy, monogamous centric idea about jealousy that feeling jealous about your partner is some, it's like a good thing. It's like a sign of your devotion. If you feel jealous about, have you heard that one? Yes. And for those that can't see, because this is a fucking podcast, I literally just, I rolled so hard. Such a big eye roll right now. Um, yes. Oh my God. They do not go into that in this chapter at all, do they? I don't think so. And honestly, that's almost worse to me than the other cultural aspect of sort of like being against jealousy. Like using jealousy as a form of emotional currency or like as a sign of endearment is just gross. I just don't like it's it. It's just unhealthy. And for me, seriously, red flags. You're right. I have heard this myth before and I and every time someone's like, oh, you know, like he's possessive or like he's jealous and it is always him for some reason. Jealousy is never an okay trait in a woman, but for some reason in men, it's like unbelievably hot. I don't think that's true. Don't you? I guess it's highly cultural. 
But in every situation, I'd be like, this is, for me, a red flag. So this this trope of, like, jealousy as, like, the truest expression of love, where does it, it come from? Because I think that it is heavily sort of embedded in the idea of, like, romance that pervades monoculture. And the, the vignette here is about romance. Um, and I think that that's the reason why they put this vignette here is because this, like, thing where like you're gonna find this person and they're like gonna be like ride or die like I can't and if you're if you know if I can't have you no one else can like this like a need to possess another person to the point where the jealousy drives you mad it's very dangerous and it's also like very not true like that is just not the way that relate like a sustainable relationship cannot function with that at the heart of it it is too difficult like, we've been together for near enough three years, Sebastian. <laughs> Can you imagine feeling like that for three years? It sounds great in a movie. It looks great on paper in a book, right? It makes for a great Twitter update or, like, a music video. But realistically, that, like, tumult of, like, intense emotional, like, passion under the guy, like, guise of jealousy, right? It's just not the emotional profile that you can build a long-term relationship on. It's impossible. And I think this is like the biggest myth of the romance culture is that, is that these, these fleeting one-dimensional like moments of heightened, yes, jealousy, but also like other things thrown in there, it will be enough to actually make a life. And that's not realistic. It's just not true. And I think it's really unhealthy. Well, and I think this whole like uh, idolizing jealousy like that, it, it comes back to, it ties into the sort of idea of relationships and, and ownership of partners, um, whether that's the, sort of the toxic masculinity side of that, or even the flip side of whatever the ownership idea, but like that you own that partner and you are the key component of their time. And that's not a healthy relationship dynamic either. You know, the thing that I hear that always is just astounding to me is like, well, you know, my boyfriend can't can't talk to no other girls or boys or whoever, or, you know, that they better not catch them, you know, texting somebody or people who are like, you know, trying to sneak into their, their, somebody's phones or something to like, make sure they're not talking to anybody else of the, of that gender or something. Yeah. And usually I think that, that, that is, um, that is because people like don't have the tools to actually like handle their own jealousy. So they prefer to just avoid any trigger of it. But that is akin to being like, okay, I'm an alcoholic. So I'm just never going to look at alcohol again. It's like unrealistic. Those triggers are going to happen. You're going to at some point be faced with it. You're going to smell some cigarette smoke if you've quit smoking. And like, you can't just be like, well, I've smelt, I've smelt one cigarette. So I guess now I'm a smoker again. Like you need to have ways that you can handle yourself when you're faced with these triggers. So when you start introducing ways to like control the other person to try and make sure that you never feel this emotion, like I get the emotion that feels shitty. I get that the emotion is hard to deal with, but you need to have ways to actually handle it. You can't just ask somebody else to remove all the triggers from your life. It's just not, re it's just not realistic. And also the whole idea of these triggers, like this idea that if you talk to somebody else immediately, you're going to enter a relationship with them or go and have sex with them. Like it, it underlies this belief that you don't even have the self-control to carry out a conversation with someone without it immediately progressing to something else. And I think that that is a, is a whole other unhealthy belief about people and their abilities. I mean, also, would you really want to be with somebody who couldn't respect your actual literal ability to just control yourself around somebody? Like, I guess the other thing to say on that though is that if you're if you are like seeing your partner like talk to somebody and you're immediately like okay they're gonna leave me what you're essentially doing is you're like saying well that that time or like that connection or something is you're perceiving that as a loss of your social resource and there are ways that you can move that onto like a more specific thing like what need are you actually meeting with this relationship can you communicate those needs to the persons and can you make sure that like they are as protected as possible because those are resources that you need instead of just like not examining any of this and just flying off the handle. And again, a lot of this happens no matter how many people that person is fucking, they could literally be with you 
for life. Like you married them, saved yourself until after marriage, like have only been with each other, have kids together, and you can still get like feel jealousy in that highly monogamous setting. So it's, I mean, they've said at the beginning of the chapter, like monogamy is not going to cure your, your feelings of jealousy. There's something else happening there. And, and you need to isolate what it is, re- redistribute your triggers and unlearn that, that profile. Well then, speaking of unlearning that profile. We looped it back. I love it. <laughs> we brought it back. They bring us into unlearning jealousy, which is a pretty short section and I guess the important thing to say is like a lot of this is cultural and some of it comes from like childhood. You were talking about like in babies, like some of this is sort of a defensive response. It's kind of how we learn to get what we need at an early age before we have the ways to communicate fully. And society sort of ingrains this in us and tells us that this might be a good thing and romance movies and all of that. But as we pointed out right in the beginning, you can unlearn these things or learn them to, how to address them in a healthier way. Um, and they say here, start by giving yourself permission to learn, which I like. Do you have any thoughts on this unlearning jealousy? No, I, I agree with everything you say here. They basically, I don't really like the term unlearning because that makes it sound like you learned jealousy, but I think it's a little bit more hardwired than that. But like, apart from that, I really agree with the section. They just say that it's a gradual process and there's going to be a lot of trial by error. You're going to get it wrong a bunch of times, which is a big takeaway from the book in general because it's difficult and then they start by decoupling the idea of sexual exclusivity and jealousy because I think that is basically like a fundamental thing you need to decouple uh so I agree with that as well once you become sort of free of this idea that you you like you already have a strong foundation in your relationship and it's not really linked to how many people this person is going to be inside of and then they, they say, you know, learning to validate yourself uh, is part of that. And I kind of agree with that. I think that's a good beginning to like the process of unlearning. Like that's basically what it is going to be. And then they move on to the next section, which is disempowering jealousy, which I think follows quite well. Um, jealousy is going to be a part of you. You're going to feel it. You can't just cut it away. It's going to feel shit and it's going to happen, but we can change the way that we experience jealousy and learn how to deal with it just like any other emotion, like it's tolerable. And I, and this whole section here, I think is a lot more about you've been jealous before you've survived it. That alone should show you that you can do it again. So why are we making jealousy into this big bad monster that we don't want to talk about? Why not change the way we talk about jealousy? And I've, I've made my own subheading here, which is how we speak about jealousy because there's some people that basically just deny that they're jealous instead of being like, yeah, I'm jealous. That is alone, like kind of revolutionary. And it does quite a lot to, to take away the power of that jealousy to sort of destroy you and, and your relationship. If you pretend you're not jealous, the other thing is people don't know that you might need some extra support. People don't know that you might be hurting not only are you not using this opportunity that your body is giving you to actually confront something that is hard, but if you deny to even use the word jealousy, you don't even have like the social resources of like your partner or your friends or your family or your community or whatever to meet, to like meet your needs at like a kind of a difficult time. We talked about in the beginning, jealousy is this umbrella over all of these emotions that you're feeling. Um, that are that can be tied to trauma, they can be tied to life events, they can be tied to so many things, right? Things that your partner might want to help you work through or support you through, right? And they talk about here, like there, there's this problem even in the in the poly community, this idea that jealousy is bad. Like you can get like that you don't want to feel jealous because then you're not really a good poly person. And I think that that really is just unhealthy. You know, and there's a difference between, they say here, remember that feeling jealousy or any other emotion is not a crime. It's only your actions that could be a crime. Feeling jealousy, feeling something, having emotions is just part of being human. It's what you do with those that is is the determining factor. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say, I kind of disagree that that is the poly line on this. I feel like the poly community has, has definitely like embraced jealousy. There are 
some really great resources specifically on jealousy now. And I, I'm wondering if maybe this is kind of showing the age of the. I still see stuff online sometimes about it. I mean, I don't think it, maybe it's, it's better. And there, there are, there's the flip side of there are more resources and there is better discussion about it. But I definitely do think there is still some stigma attached to jealousy. So basically the, the whole thing here is like, okay, so you're going to feel jealous. I think the question is like the way you talk about it, you can disempower it, but also so what? So you feel jealous. So what? This doesn't mean that you should, um, that you should act, act. They use the term act out, right? Which is when you do things you don't really understand, driven by emotions you refuse to be aware of in ways that you'll probably later regret. So this might take the form of making ultimatums or trying to um, do other unreasonable behavior, being irrationally angry, crying fits, or even like pushing yourself to the point where you feel physically sick. Um, we've already said that jealousy is quite a physical emotion. And if you, if you act out or allow it to act out through you, like partly through just not talking about it, but even if you are talking about it, making it someone else's problem or like not talking about it and actually dealing with it constructively, it's going to arise within you and it's going, it's going to fucking hurt. And there was a section in this bit where they say, if somebody does realize that they're jealous or in pain, we need to, as the other person in that relationship or as a supporting person, we need to allow them to kind of share. And they, they're going to go into this in more detail, but I did realize there was one bit here. It said, seeming indifference is a really crummy way to avoid dealing with it. And that's both if you're feeling jealous and also if the person you're with is jealous. And I realized like, I do that. It was the first part of this chapter where I underlined it and I was like, oh my God, that's me. Because jealousy is quite a foreign concept for me, as I've already said, like it, in romantic settings. But that, I do do that. Because I'm so low poly and I'm a relationship anarchist. And this is like very easy for me to be like, well, that sounds like a you problem. Like I'm not, I'm not going to help you with this because it's, it's, your problem or if I'm am feeling jealous I do it with my siblings I'm just like well okay you know what? I don't even care I don't even care I'm an independent person like I become so so shitty about it <laughs> so I wanted to highlight that bit the only other thing I might want to add is that you know, this idea that I think sometimes people don't want to hear about other people's jealousy or be open to that because jealousy has this can sometimes especially when you're first learning to deal with it have this component of blame on the other person. And I think that that's, you know, that can be really hard to feel like you're being blamed for something that you haven't done specifically. Like to hear like, oh, you're making me feel this can be very upsetting. And that can make you want to shut down and then be defensive. And I, I think what this this part of the chapter wraps up about is giving your partner space to express their feelings without taking it personally. Um, and also for the person who's feeling jealousy to learn how to express that without making it the other person's fault. There's a big difference between saying that I'm feeling sad and hurt and upset and you're making me feel that. And we're going to talk about that more later, but I think that sort of gets us into the next section. And now we're going to go whitewater rafting. I know. We're going to introduce another metaphor because I've got to say, Dossie and Janet love their metaphors. They're mixing them up all the time. Um, so the idea here is that uh, something has happened and you are drowning in jealousy and you will have to find a way of whitewater rafting your way through it. I guess the first thing they say in this section is an important part of love is loving someone even when they're being stupid, weak, small, difficult. It's important to remember to be good to yourself. I remember that an important part of love is not not just the love you have for someone else, but of self-love is to love your weaknesses, your stupidity, your smallness, times you feel shitty. I've got to say, as humans, we generally make ourselves feel pretty crap a lot of the time. Like, I just turn on the news and I'm like, oh, I should be doing more. I suck. Like, I don't know why we would make feeling jealous as the reason being something that we just don't want to ever admit. We have no problem feeling shitty about ourselves. And I refuse to feel shitty for feeling shitty. That secondary emotion is not helpful. So they start by saying that, and then they also say, here's a practical idea. Set yourself a task to get through that short period of time. If something's making you feel really, really jealous, and it's coming out and it feels really bad, find a task you need to do. 
And basically for like the rest of these sections, they use one example, which is your partner's going on a date with somebody else. For this, they say like that afternoon or the evening when your partner's off with somebody else, make a pact to stay with your feelings and give yourself like, you know, binge something. They say watch a video, but I guess the updated version would be Netflix, Um, that kind of stuff. So give yourself that short task. What I will say is that you can do that for anything else as well. Let's say that you are feeling really jealous because somebody got a better car than you. Do something else, short task, to, you know, contain, like, sort of distract yourself a little bit when you're beginning to feel that. Um, Other things I've heard is just excusing yourself, just going to the bathroom. It only takes about 20 minutes generally for intense feelings of jealousy and such to go away, like scientifically speaking. So if you can occupy yourself for 20 minutes, then you can get through that shitty feeling. Can I add a little bit to that? Because I read what they were saying here a little bit differently. What I took from that for that the brief time they were talking about is they were saying like one way to learn how to handle jealousy better is that if you're in a situation like that, so your partner goes on a date and that makes you feel that and you feel jealous, feel jealousy around that. Make yourself sit there with that feeling for five to 10 minutes without distracting yourself to try to come to terms a little bit, sort of like practice. It's sort of like uh, immersion therapy. Oh, really? So we have like drastically different readings. Okay. In which case, I think we should reread this section super quick and then agree on my, my reading or your reading of it. I, I think you're right. I think that they are actually advocating not distraction of how to deal with it but for actually holding space to feel jealous even though it feels shitty because i think what they're saying is you're going to feel jealous and and to get used to that and to not treat it as such a negative or to treat it as something that you can handle deal with it in small doses like accept that it will be there that it's okay to feel jealous exactly what you said don't don't add the secondary emotion of feeling bad that you feel bad and their idea of, because I've heard people talk about this before, like if my partner goes on a date, I have to also have a date or I have to find something to make sure I preoccupy myself so I don't think about the thing that's making me feel bad. And like, yeah, that can work for some time, but at some point, like logistically, it's impossible, right? So as a long-term strategy, you need to find ways to, you know, work past that. So maybe you start with five minutes where you just sit, sit there and like, wow, I feel shit about this. Okay think about it. And then you're like, okay, now I can go watch Netflix or now I'm going to go for a run or now something. And then over time it gets easier. It's a bit like um, the people I see during finals crying in the library. And then the time it goes off and like, well, that's the end of my crying session now back to work, like <laughs> make the time for it, even though it feels shit. Cause otherwise it will just completely overwhelm you. Okay. So the next section is it might be easier than you thought. Uh, and basically this section is just that it might be easier than you think it is. Jealousy might not actually, like when you actually dig into it, feeling jealous might be a little bit easier than you thought. And I think this is a bit about disempowering it, right? Like the, the, like when you've allowed yourself to hold space and like feel those feelings, they might be like, huh, that's completely survivable. That that's not that hard. It's much less hard than I thought it was going to be. And they have kind of like this little first person like feedback from one of their friends um, where they were like, yeah, it it lost its power a little bit because once you actually feel jealous, you're like, well, I can survive feeling jealous. It's not the end of the world. And I guess also on like a practical sense, like once you've allowed yourself to to have that perceived loss of resource, feel really scared about it allow that evolutionary hardwiring to kick in and feel jealous and be like i need to like take it back but don't then your body learns oh that is just a perceived loss of resource i haven't actually lost anything yeah i agree with that i think and that uh also if you sort of disempower a little bit from the sense of like not wanting to talk about it if you can talk to your partner about these things they talk about here that 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 uh, little mini story they have from their friend talks about how through discussions, they found a way 
to address some of those feelings in a productive way. And once you're able to talk about these things and acknowledge it in yourself and, and talk to each other, then it's much easier to deal with. Okay, so next session is feel your feelings. And I think there are six ways they talk about how to feel feelings, but we've spoken about this before, owning your feelings. Every feeling, I will say, is temporary. Whatever you're feeling right now and forever, it's not the same thing. So right now you're feeling something, but it's not how you're going to feel forever. It doesn't matter how overwhelming it is. Right now is just now. And the best thing you can do with that is try and use it well. Because it's all you have right now, and it might really fucking suck, but it is a temporary emotion. Shout out to Jay, because she's always saying that. Good poly friend of mine. Um, so you're feeling your feelings. You're hurt, you're angry, you're whatever, right? They're flowing over you, and you want to blame someone. And instead of doing that, you just need to take, make a commitment to take care of yourself and actually like own them, own those feelings. And I wrote down the six that they outline here one is to journal and they say it's okay if you're just journaling fuck 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 in bright red ink but <laughs> you are journaling they advocate for a stream of consciousness uh so basically literally just write whatever comes into your head like that no one else is ever going to read this like just cover the pad just do it second one if you're not super into your words is to draw with colors just get it out there express it squiggles drawing monochrome bright colors whatever you want like just draw it number three is express your feelings with your body so go for a run go to the gym um dig in the garden dance be aware that you are going to have a lot of adrenaline and you might be a lot stronger than you realize so don't hurt yourself yeah that's important don't and don't push yourself too hard as somebody who likes to do that when i'm feeling a lot of emotions like I do the, like, I like to go for runs or workout or stuff. Um, and definitely you have to be careful because I've done that and been like really angry or upset about something. And I'll like try to go for a run. And I'm like, I know what I can do. I could run a five minute mile. I cannot do that. And it did not go well. <laughs> Ouch for like four, four of the following days. Um, yeah, stretch is stretch. Um, try to find music that fits your mood. Is number four. I will say like, I'm a bit wary about this one because for me, whenever I find music that fits my mood, it just enhances and like amplifies the feeling. So if I'm feeling sad and I put on sad music that matches my mood, I'm going to feel sad for like five times longer. <laughs> so caveat with that, be aware of that. Notice how doing these makes you feel either better, worse or whatever. Number five is they say... <laughs> Get a cheap plastic tennis racket and beat the shit out of a couch. Yell loudly. It's just kind of violent, allowing the violent anger to be channeled out of you. Um, and number six is um, when you're feeling scared or insecure, try and remember three things that you're grateful for. Neurologically, uh, fear and gratitude can't coexist in your brain. So you can, when you're that angry, find something to be grateful about you cannot be afraid at the same time. I want to point out that like all of these ways of feeling your feelings are alone. Mm -hmm. They are all things you do by yourself. None of these are go out and vent your partner, go and find someone else to have sex with, go and like and all of these are ways to feel your feelings alone. And I think that's important. Before you start seeking anything else from other people, friends, lovers, whatever, try these ways of allowing your feelings to be felt alone even if it's scary and one of the things i would say is do not drink from personal experience if you're feeling shitty drinking is not a way of dealing with it same with drugs like that's something you can do by yourself that i wouldn't add to this list so the next section is entitled, Who's to Blame? Who's to Blame, Sebastian? Nobody! Nobody, exactly. It's a really short section, but there is a strong link between feelings of blame and guilt and jealousy and how those three things interact in interpersonal relationships. They do not go into that here, and so we will not either, unfortunately. But I think the key takeaway from this is that it's very easy for us to invent other people's intentions. They're doing this to spite me. They're doing this to make me feel bad. They're do I mean, you have even said this to me. Like, 
all of us do this. We all invent the intentions of another person because it's a lot easier than just being like, I guess no one's to blame. I just feel shit. Mm-hmm. And that is unfortunately the reality of the situation. Much easier if someone actually was to blame. But like nine times out of 10, there's no one to blame. They're just feelings. They're just there. They have to be cradled and, and felt and then and then thrown out. That's what they need to be done with. <laughs> Do you have anything to add on that surprisingly short section? I do not. Okay. I liked the next section, which is when you are the third party. As a solo person, there's times when I um, I don't have access to a partner to talk about this. Like even, even in our relationships, we're long distance. So sometimes it will feel like being the third party because we're, we don't have access to each other all the time. I live on the opposite side of the world some of the time. It's just difficult. So... When you're the third person, what they're saying here is like it becomes really uh, important, even more important sometimes for you to find support for these feelings because you do not necessarily have access to a a partnership to do that. Um, So don't forget to plan that with the partner to say like we need to have like a serious talk about this. And if you can't do that, have other support. I, that that was my takeaway from this. It's like you can schedule that time with your partner. You can also schedule it with yourself, FYI. You might want to use counseling to help you structure that time. But if you don't have access to that because you're the third party, I don't like to use the word secondary, but maybe you're a secondary partner, then make sure you have the social support available to like have those discussions with other people. The next section they, they go into here, and we're getting towards the end of the chapter now, is um, baby yourself, which I like. It kind of makes me laugh. I don't know why. <laughs> I just think it's cute. But, you know, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling all of these feelings, like it's important to take care of yourself. And that can be like, you don't always have to like deal with the jealousy and figure out how to work through it. Like sometimes just be kind to yourself. They said, try wrapping yourself in a soft blanket. That, you know, it could be little things. Like you can become a burrito. That can be very comforting. Give yourself permission to take care of yourself. Have hot chocolate. Treat yourself a little bit. Like, just just be kind. Um, anything from really basic things like that to get a massage. I like that they talk about it. Like, imagine you have the flu. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really great way of, of talking about it. Like, it, when you're sick, and I mean, I'm really bad at this, but when you're sick, like, I hope you take some time off to, you know, like get better and recover and it, that's that's a good skill for adults to do because we no longer have our mothers and fathers being like today's your day off school but like you can allow yourself that um there's a lot of like sensory grounding um language in this as well which i really appreciate they also talk about getting sort of getting support from other people so whether that means going out with people or trying to find a date for yourself or something like that. Again, they link a lot of this around, like if your partner is going out on a date with somebody, what should you do? And they say, make plans to occupy time. That might be going on a date, or it might mean even though you're feeling crap, don't cancel the date that you already have planned. But that might actually, and I've definitely had that experience where I've sort of felt crap. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll just stay in and relax. And that's, for me, that wasn't going to be a good solution. And so I went out and actually had a great time And then I forgot all about why I was feeling crap. They also say that, you know, if you can find a date, find something else, go see a movie, eat cookies, chew your fingernails, whatever works. One thing they do point out, which Claire said before as well, is we do not recommend drinking and drugging because that is not, if you're already in a heightened emotional state, as I'm sure many of us who do drink or use drugs might know, that can really intensify that. And if you're feeling really negatively, adding that chemical enhancement is not going to make you feel better necessarily yeah well if if that's the way you choose to do it there's no judgment here it's just that's that's what the authors say that's also what i agree with from personal experience but you know no judgment um there's one other thing from this baby yourself section that i think i want to just highlight which is there's a bit here where they say when you anticipate feeling jealousy it is an anticipation element here and this is the first time they're really introducing this notion and I I think they're gonna unpack a little bit more later but like it's on you like to understand when you're likely to feel it to anticipate what's gonna trigger this 
not so you can avoid it, but so that you can like prepare yourself for it. And in this situation, begin to take steps to like be kind to yourself. Um, I just think that that's interesting. They've snuck it in here. It's not very like explicit, but I liked that it was in here. Right, tough it out. I really wanted, I've written in here, bitches, because I think that has more of a ring to it. Tough it out, bitches. <laughs> Basically, this entire section is uh, one of these things where they get Dossie to write about her personal experience, which we're not going to cover in this. Um, but yeah. basically this is like sometimes you just have to tough it out. Suck it out. I got to just like, and that fucking sucks. But you know, that's similar to, um, similar to that a little bit to earlier where it's like, you know, these this is going to pass. You're going to be fine. Yeah. It's going to be okay. You've, you've survived this before. You shall survive it again. Um, it's like reconditioning your brain. It's like you talked about. Like if you push your way through it, your brain starts to relearn those pathways and eventually it gets easier. And eventually you're not toughing it out. You're just not even, it just becomes a thing that you you don't have the same response to. I mean, I, I liken it to, to quitting smoking, uh, something that both of us have done, but I have done it more recently. Uh, every day that you don't smoke is another day you didn't need to smoke. And every time you want a cigarette, it's only about three minutes before that passes. So one of the things I posted before, which got like quite a lot of good feedback was you only need to get through the three minutes of really craving a cigarette and distract yourself. Once you can do that, that that's gone. And then another day you didn't need a cigarette. Like you build this up slowly by deconditioning yourself slowly. And it's fucking hard, but like sometimes you just tough it up. I mean, if I can quit smoking, I can like get over jealousy. You know what I'm saying? Okay. The next section is go for the ick, the worst title we've had thus far. Yeah. The point of it, though, is very good. So we're sort of saying this is like another way, like just like expose yourself to it, right? Like not just avoid it, not just like power through it, but acknowledge your feelings, get yourself into these situations, work through them. They also talk about here sort of like what are you really afraid of? What's really leading you to these feelings? They make the point that, you know, our minds abhor a vacuum. So maybe, you know, your, your partner goes out on a date and you're starting to feel anxious and you're starting to feel whatever. Instead of then avoiding the situation that has made you feel that jealousy, have a conversation about it. So maybe for somebody like you, you feel really insecure and you're, you're feeling like, oh my God, they're going out on a date. Next thing you know, they're going to leave me and go move in with this person, right? You're feeling jealousy. What do you do about that? What they're saying here is talk to your partner about that. Say, this is how I'm feeling. And, you know, ask for reassurance or ask to talk about it or make them aware and, and own that feeling. And be really honest and feel it and deal with it. Yeah, it's basically like, um, I mean, this is one of the homeworks that they put down, but they say, like, write down all of the imaginings of, like, the things that are just, like, running through your head uh, and order them most to least scary in doing this you kind of reality test them like okay how realistic is it that this person is going to like contract something when you've already had these discussions or huh maybe this is so scary because you haven't had those discussions great that's something you can actually work on to make that less scary so it's like this um kind of like picking up your jealousy playing with it pulling out the parts that become loose like disentangling it really getting into the mud um and in the end, like, you can't, it can't feel worse, you know? And if, and if like, you're getting into that ick and you're like, you know, this is just too much, you can put it down and you can go to some of these other things we've already spoken about. You can baby yourself or you can, like, go and disempower it by having a conversation about it. Like, I think that this go for the ick factor is, like, bald face staring at the right. thing you think you're scared of and seeing if it flinches. Right. Well, they, they say here, reality is almost always less terrifying than fiction. Like whatever your mind fills in when you don't have all the information is almost always going to be, your mind always jumps to the worst, to the worst possible scenario if you're in this kind of headspace. I feel like you do this. Oh, I'm awful at it. For me, it's like I don't understand this at all, but you do do this. But I'm a worrier and I've been like this since well before we were together. Like I, I worry and I get anxious about stuff. Um, so you should... Try that homework. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> right. 
Um, but I mean, one of the examples that they used here, which really stuck with me is like, I get anxious about people like making it like just about like people making it home safe, for example. Right. Um, which is something we've talked about before. And like, one of the things that helps alleviate that is like, like little check-ins at some point, like everything's fine. I made it home safe or everything's good. I'm having a great time. I'll talk to you in the morning. Like, so that I'm not sitting here. Like, um, I used to do this with my parents when I was young, before the age of cell phones and they would go out for dinner they'd say, we were going to be home at nine and it would be nine Oh two. And I'd be like, they're not home at nine. They're not home at nine. Like my parents are gone. My parents are dead. Right. Like my mind immediately has this, this awful tendency to jump to the worst possible scenario. You know, there's ways to help alleviate that with things like check-ins. And there's also exactly this identity of looking at like, okay, nine Oh two is like traffic, right? Like, you know, taking a step back and saying, why am I freaking out about something that probably, you know, like, objectively doesn't make any sense. And I think it's a really important point that they put here. So I'm glad that they... I'm glad I'm glad they found something out of that because I didn't find that particularly helpful, but then I, it's not something I struggle with. So uh, the next section is remember the good stuff. And uh, this is something that I struggle with doing, mainly about myself. But basically this is um, encouraging you to be an optimist. Uh, you value what you have with your partner, presumably, otherwise you'd be spending time with them many things that you value about them all the good stuff the time attention the love um if you're like trying to be pessimistic about it when they go away you could be like well i'm losing these things and everything sucks and all the energy is being subtracted from my life and i need to somehow get it back by making this person feel guilty and like that's a whole sinkhole or you can spend that time being like super optimistic so like they said earlier fear and gratitude cannot coexist this is also quite a good exercise to draw on when you're maybe like feeling a little bit FOMO. Um, we only have a couple, well, we only have one more section, two more sections. So, um, so sharing, um, again, this is, this whole chapter has been pretty didactic. It's been a lot about, um, how individuals can, um, deal with jealousy inspired by one other person either by themselves or in a partnership and this is basically about like reinforcing about when you start communicating and sharing your jealousy you don't just disempower it but you also build a stronger bond with your partner um this can happen like not just when you're sharing about jealousy all of these techniques can be used during other difficult events in your life like job interviews writing a resume we've had recent experience with that question um but also through like trauma bonding this made me think about trauma bonding so like when you go through a trauma and you lean on somebody and they see you at your most vulnerable it can like pro- profoundly change the bond that you have um sometimes sometimes the worst but um because trauma bonding obviously sometimes can lead to very unhealthy codependency and you do have to be aware of that but basically the, the sharing part is the key thing here when you share your jealousy when you start beginning to talk about the jealousy you give the chance in a relationship to blossom further because you're sharing vulnerabilities. And what other thing is more vulnerable than the things that make you feel super out of control and super, super ugly and sad and lonely, i.e. jealousy. And I really liked that as a sentiment and I wanted them to end the chapter there and they didn't. They had a stupid next section. Can I just say one other thing about that sharing part? Because I completely agree. And Sharing jealousy is, is, as you said, it's this huge amount of vulnerability. They have this other example here where they talk about what it should look like when you share jealousy or or sort of the dynamics of that. And the goal of sharing jealousy is not to get your partner to do something different to alleviate your jealousy. Um, So they give the example, say somebody's going out on a date, our prime example today. And you're like, well, I'm feeling this way about it. It's making me feel jealous. The end result of that is not cancel the date shouldn't be that's not a healthy outcome that's not a way to resolve this right the outcome could be i'm very you know i'm sorry that you're feeling that way i love you and i'll be back soon right acknowledge that that's an emotion that you're feeling it like thank you for sharing that with me i still love you and like we're fine and i think that's an important distinction a little bit of like i hear you i validate your feelings here's a bit of reassurance but i'm still going to go and do the thing that that i've made my plans with um so again, I wish they'd left the chapter there. I really do. But instead they added a spiritual path because it has a question mark on the end of it. Um, 
to I didn't like this section. So basically, jealousy can become a path to healing old wounds and to what they call open-heartedness, which they have defined in their glossary of terms, which I'll now read. Open-heartedness, greeting the world with compassion and without defensiveness, opening yourself to whatever love or connection your life offers you. Yeah, I didn't like this being put on here, and here's why, because I feel like too often in the poly community, um, people people end up writing about jealousy, the people that don't tend to feel it very much, and they tend to kind of preach this idea of like they're somehow like more enlightened. And like jealousy has kind of become like this thing that you can just like spiritualize your way out of. Um, and, you know, you achieve some sort of like higher state of like spiritual education, and that's when you become truly poly. There's a lot in that, and I feel like it, this that by uh, by using the language they are in this section, they're opening up that huge can of worms. Generally, I think that's bullshit. I'm one of the people who doesn't feel a lot of jealousy. I haven't felt it ever. I don't think I've ever felt it in a romantic partnership, particularly intensely. But that means I am the least qualified to be giving information about it. I am the least qualified to be advising somebody on how to deal with their jealousy. They should be talking to somebody who, you know, deals with it every day who really does have like a lot of stuff that they're working through and is poly because they really want to be poly because they think it's better for them, their partners and their lifestyle. There's idea that you can spiritualize your way to the point where like it doesn't bother you anymore. It's like really dangerous perpetuating this myth. And I, I really kind of annoyed because I liked the sharing part and I wish they just left it at that. What do you think about this section? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, it doesn't really have a place in here. It doesn't really add anything to this discussion. I don't think you just magically grow beyond jealousy. Like people have old wounds. I mean, I definitely feel jealousy on occasion for a number of reasons. And like some of the things that trigger that are things that are really deeply ingrained in me that will always be deeply ingrained with me. And I'll just learn better ways to cope with them and have learned better ways to cope with them. And I may, we used the example of like smoking cigarettes, for example, earlier, right? So I've been quit from smoking cigarettes almost four years now. Um, and that does not mean that there aren't still times that I don't want to smoke a cigarette. And I will still consider myself a smoker to some degree for probably for a long time. Much like alcoholics are always an alcoholic. They just haven't had a drink. Like you don't just magically get rid of that part of yourself. You don't magically get rid of emotions and feelings and all of that. You learn how to deal with them. And I don't think that there's a... Saying that they can just magically go away, I think is just a bit disingenuous and it diminishes the work that you have to do to get there. So, yeah, I would have much rather left it on the last section. Yeah, I agree. So they, at the end of this episode, have a vignette, um, which is called On Romance. Uh, we talk about things being romantic and they kind of dig into it here about what that really means. Basically, it's a narrative based on an infatuation. It is um, something to do with the depth of emotional commitment um, and plugging into a very particular idealized story of how a didactic relationship should be. It's very closely linked, to mind, to monoculture. But it's definitely a kind of narrative about some kind of implied trajectory and some way that you should experience a relationship. A lot of shoulds. <laughs> in this there's a lot of what you should feel there's a lot of expectation and you see it all over the place movies television books a boy meets a girl or a girl meets a boy or a boy meets a boy or a girl meets a girl like you know we're in the 21st century there's a date a second date then you have sex then you have like these cute little like misunderstandings and then you get like better and then like there's like funny moments and then there's a wedding and the wedding is perfect and then the partner like you know stays together forever or whatever right but there's there's a, a narrative here as some little bits and pieces but it's very heavily in our culture that is what they believe romance is what do you would you agree with that as what they think romance is in this in this section yeah i think what they're talking about there is the it's the relationship escalator it's like romantic a romantic relationship goes up that escalator yeah, that's what we call the the the, the relationship escalator 
Now, romance as a, as a theme has been around since like the 19th century in literature, sort of like think Jane Austen novels and that kind of thing. It is a pretty modern invention. I think that's really important to say that. They don't say that in it, but I think it's really important to notice that. The thing is that when you come across a one-size-fits-all romance narrative and you try and force all your relationships into that, you end up with either something that's not real or someone that's not real, right? Or you end up kind of stifling elements of the relationship that are coming out naturally. And jealousy is one of them. We've spoken a bit about how jealousy plays into romance and the myths of romance. But wouldn't it be easier to just abandon this narrative and just see where the relationship you're in goes? And I think that's that's basically what they say on it. I think they could have done more on this. I think this, this is the beginning of an entire critique about monoculture, which they, they do not talk about in this book. But yeah. this is this is about as close as they've got so far to like critiquing monoculture and what we talk about toxic monogamy. There are elements of this that don't, that do that. Um, right. I think the important point with all that is if this is what you want for your life to follow that script, then that's totally fine. But the other point they make is there are no other real examples. Something we've talked about a lot before. There's no other examples of of other relationship styles of other ways to structure it of any other ideals to aspire to in a relationship, nor do we, the society really strongly, you know, encourage people to do their own thing um, in their, you know, just to, to decide their relationship the way they want yeah. to be. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure to follow a certain script. And the point of all this is like, that's not, wouldn't it be better if you just, as you said, like, see where it takes you yeah with one person or many people or whatever you want you can find Polly pages on instagram at polypages. and if you have any questions or comments for us please feel free to send them to polypages at gmail.com our awesome intro and outro music is by Mint Green, and you can follow them on Instagram and Linktree at Mint Green Music. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Books.